Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got J-Bone. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Then also with us today, we got Tone. What's up? All right. Welcome to the podcast, fellas. J-Bone, you want to kick us off? What you got to drink today? I got quite frequent on the show, not by me, but like by everybody, Founders, and it's the Porter. Is that the one with the pretty lady on it? It is. Yeah. Miss St. Anne. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick on that. What does it say? It says like something smooth, rich. Doesn't it say something like that on it? Dark, smooth, and rich. Dark, smooth, and rich. Kind of like J Bone. <laughs> I just I had to have that read. Like we could we could move on, but hey, you we, know what? Now because of the catchphrase under Saint Anne, I think I'm bringing this beer every time just so I could say, hey, with us today is J Bone. Yeah, dark, smooth, and rich. <laughs> All right, Tone. What you got to drink? Uh, let's see here. I got a. House of McKiller, Night King Double IPA. Nice. It's, a, it's a Game of Thrones inspired can, it looks like. You, you basically picked that out because I like can yep. art and Game of Thrones. Yes, sir. And we're, we're sitting in a studio. Even though we're talking about gangster shit all the time, we're basically surrounded by Star Wars toys and Game of Thrones yeah. toys and shit. Yeah, so his beer, his Night King on his beer looks pretty evil. Like, can you turn that away from me? I'm kind of scared. <laughs> it's actually pretty pretty tasty for being a double ipa so what's you, the alcohol on that uh, 8.6 8. what do you you like ipas usually don't you yeah okay yep so i got a, a bell's cherry stout which as we've covered multiple times so we haven't actually covered this one uh but this one also has the traverse city cherries mm, so. okay so season two has basically been the Traverse City Cherry fucking promotional fucking tour because we've been hitting that in the old fashions and the beers and the ciders, you name it. We find any way to drink Traverse City Cherries in a liquor, apparently. It is the tart cherry capital of the world. Right. Not of the United States, of the world. Of the world. And Bells, I do want to mention because we, uh, we jock founders a lot, but Bells, it's a giant independent brewery. They still rock the upside down beer symbol on the ship, but. I also went, we went to, it says it's from Comstock, Michigan. Comstock's right outside of Kalamazoo, but they're actually like the brew house or whatever and pub is in Kalamazoo when we went there. And I highly recommend it. The beer is good. The food was off the hook. The The food is the food version of the beers. You know what I mean? Everything's like high level. Everything's. Okay. I got the chicken, I'm a big chicken sandwich fan, yeah. you know, and I got the fried chicken sandwich mm-hmm. and the, it's a whole chicken thigh. It was amazing. Damn. So yeah, I uh, highly recommend if you're ever out in the west side of the state, go hit up Bell's. And then we went to Grand Rapids. We went to the New Holland. They have a whole Dragon's Milk menu. Oh, yeah. Support for Say Hello to the Bad Guy is brought to you by Manscaped. So cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? 
Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2020 the cleanest and sexiest ever. So set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use the code BADGUY for 20% off and free shipping. We all got the Lawnmower 4.0 performance package that comes with, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 ball trimmer, but you also got the the weed whacker, nose and ear trimmer, you got... Uh, crop preserver. Yeah, the crop preserver, the crop reviver, which are ball deodorant, basically. Uh, they got anti-chafing underwear, so all the products are high-end. And they actually just set us up with some stuff originally. Now they renewed our sponsorship. So anything you can get, it's a big help for the podcast. So they got shoe powder, they got lip balm, uh, shampoo, body wash, you name it. 2022, be a little bit cleaner, be a little less fucking disgusting. And, well, the four I mentioned, uh, the boxers they give you, like uh, the anti-chafing boxers are dope. Really the help. t-shirt's it high quality. Your package together. Well, Amen. My date night draws and shit. Well, to piggyback mm-hmm. on the, the theme of the New Year ad, like, you know what I mean? It is that season, you know, jingle balls, you know what I mean? Get them yes. tingly. <laughs> new Year, new balls. Fucking get them out there fresh, dangling. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code badguy at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use badguy. It's New Year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. And before we get started, I want to make sure I take the time to thank Sixfold Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. I thank Cancer for letting us use his music in the mid-roll. You can follow them both on Instagram. Sixfold Swaino is F-O-E. Then Cancer, it's at Cancer the God. The E is a three. You can follow us at BadGuyPodcast.com on both TikTok and Instagram and the Bad Guy Pod at Twitter. And if you're having a hard time finding anything, go to BadGuyPodcast.com and you can get all the links on there. So this episode we're covering today, this is going to be part three of the season finale series. And the bad guy we're covering today is Arthur Simon Flegenheimer. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. So we got Arthur Flegenheimer, a.k.a. Dutch Schultz, a.k.a. the Dutchman, a.k.a. the beer baron of the Bronx. Dutch that last one's just his job title. <laughs> <laughs> Not a nickname. That's a that's an official position. Yeah. That's nineteen twenties like uh what you would call like a section lead now at a factory. <laughs> so Arthur Flegenheimer, the oldest of two, he had a little sister. He was born in New York in the Brock slums on August sixth, nineteen oh one, to German Jewish immigrants. His father ran out of the family at a young age. Uh, it's different reports. Don't know exactly when, but he was reported deceased by the 1910 census, so it would have been when he was still young. But that kind of traumatized Dutch. He basically would deny that his father left him the rest of his life. Sometimes he'd make up stories about his dad and stuff. No fuck face. Your dad went out for a pack <laughs> of smokes and never came yeah. home. That's what happened. No, my dad was a good guy. Yeah, you have to deal with it. That's that's <laughs> that's the times back then. Like, not that guys don't leave their family now, but like that was the times back then. Like, you did go out for a pack of smokes. He ends up dropping out of school in the eighth grade to help support his family. He worked a series of different jobs, including a job at a place called Schultz Trucking. But by 1919, he started working at a nightclub that was owned by a small-time criminal, and he began robbing crap games before moving into burglary. No, was the Schultz Trucking thing when he was just going job to job, was that just luck of, like, he just, that was just the name? 
Yeah. Like, okay. It'll come back to. Okay. Right now. But yeah, at this point, he's Arthur Flegenheimer, and he happened to work at Schultz Trucking. So he get, he gets caught breaking into an apartment and is convicted with bur- burglary, and he's sent to a prison on Blackwell Island, which is now Roosevelt Island. I believe that's the island between Queens and Manhattan. I'm not entirely sure. But he goes there, and he was a terror of a prisoner. The staff hated him. They couldn't control him. He was unruly. He was wild. So eventually they sent him. He was considered a, an unmanageable prisoner and was transferred to a work farm. Damn. He gets the work farm. He just escaped the work farm at one point, so he ended up getting two extra months for escaping. What's crazy is the same kind of behavior that we've seen people end up getting like life in prison for actually kind of got him out because at some point they're like, you know what? Fuck this fucking dude. He's I'm not babysitting no more. Yeah. Really? Send him home. I ain't doing this bullshit. Really? Yeah. Well, even down to his goddamn, um, we don't want to keep him so bad that when he escaped, you know, we didn't add five years on or nothing. We added two months. What the <laughs> fuck is that kind of a reset? Like, we you know s- what? Now we're keeping your switch for two more weeks. Like what that you grounded that dude? He's a prisoner. So he got released on parole on December twentieth, nineteen twenty. For bad behavior. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do a lot of firsts on this show. So <laughs> that's the first bad behavior parole. Well, because I was thinking of like into um like the Shawshank Redemption, those type of guards, like, hey bro, we'll just say you escape and go out here and shoot these motherfuckers and nobody was soft in New York, even the cops. So he was so bad. All five foot two of Dutch Schultz. <laughs> hey, man, we got to let him go or something. It's a pain in the ass. We caught him. He escaped. We caught him and said, we ain't keeping you much longer than we need to. <laughs> He's like having a kid in his terrible twos for like life. So he gets out in 1920. And now with Prohibition in full swing, he goes back to Schultz Trucking, who is now sm- smuggling liquor from Canada. Who wasn't at the time? It's the thing to do. So some reports say he was, and I want to cover this because I want to make sure I cover everything because people bitching. Yeah. Um, so there are some reports that he was working for Arnold Rothstein, which he may have been. He may have been working under Arnold Rothstein's umbrella or for Arnold Rothstein, but he definitely wasn't like a Rothstein guy. He wasn't his Rubbing right shoulders. Hand, yeah, he wasn't like his right hand man or anything like that. Okay. But this is around the time when he started going by Dutch Schultz. Now, part of it had to do, he was working at Schultz Trucking. And he's German. Some people say that it was the guy that owned Schultz Trucking, that his son was named Dutch, and that he stole the son's name. Some people say he took it from an older criminal. He says that he went with it because Arthur Flemingheimer didn't fit well in the newspaper. <laughs> One of those four reasons is why he starts going by Dutch Schultz. Hey, ain't no one patent Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the guy that got thrown out of the guy that got thrown out of prison, I'm going with option number four because, like, you know what? I'm planning on being an asshole, a pretty big fucking asshole, and I need my name to fit in the newspaper. Okay, that's who I am. While on a run in Canada, Dutch Schultz shot and killed his first man, and this kind of infuriated his boss. He was kind of had a reputation as a loose cannon already, and. Well, it's definitely, like, even your um, hardcore gangsters, not even just his boss. Like, okay, a trucking guy could have got weaseled into it like I do bootlegging. But whoever it is, when you're in organized shit like that, the last thing we need is any attention. Our hitmen, that's the last option. We only kill each other, and we do it for reasons. If you're out here doing bar fights and being loud and want your name in the newspaper, hey, John Gotti, before John Gotti, let's not put the spotlight on us. And since it is (laughs) illegal in both countries, we kind of want to. Keep it quiet. 
So this infuriates his boss. They get an argument, and Dutch leaves to go work for some of the Italian competitors, and it kind of increases his gangland connections and reputation. Well, yeah, they need... Now, look, we won't have you driving the truck, but if you come over here... Oh, I got a bunch of faces you can pound in. Come here, you! Yeah, I'm sure the Italians are like, well, fuck yeah. Those Jews don't want to let you kill people? <laughs> oh! They don't know talent when they sit. <laughs> so by the mid-1920s, he ends up bouncing at a speakeasy in the Bronx, owned by a guy named Joey No. Joey No, he notices right away that Dutch Schultz, he's got this, he's just got a ruthless brutality. So he's like, hey, you don't have the mentality for bouncing, per se, but I got something that'll work for you. You're not supposed to beat everybody up. (laughs) (laughs) Some people just come and get drunk. So he brings on Dutch Schultz, and they began expanding their operations throughout the Bronx. And uh, what they did was they they were beer guys. And what they started coming up with something, it was called needle beer. So a lot of the Bush and all these big beer companies that didn't want to go broke during Prohibition, they could still make near beer. So they would make near beer, and they would set up these little shops where they would take the near beer, and then they'd take a needle through the cork and inject it with grain alcohol to make it stronger. It was pretty much gross beer with gross alcohol in it. But you got drunk as fuck. They have that today. It's called Natty Daddy and Steel Reserve. Dutch Schultz was always cheap. He was... A penny pincher. But one of his early ideas, he decided that they could use their own trucks and deliver it themselves to reduce delivery costs, and he could just run the enforcement. So Amazon before Amazon. Like, yeah, he, just, he didn't want to spend money on anybody. He's like, no, we'll deliver it ourselves. I'm you, the muscle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the bouncer. <laughs> like, we're a truck. I'm, I'm the driver, the muscle. <laughs> Hold on, let me call dispatch. Me? <laughs> So he would ride shotgun and uh, and drive and provide the and, <laughs> and provide the protection. But he would also like they would make stops. So when they would come across places that weren't buying their beer, they just go in and like, hey, we're selling this uh ten, we're selling this needle beer, and they're like, ah, oh, we sell real beer. And he's like, so I'm just gonna put you down for like ten cases then. And they'd be like, nah. And he just be like, well, we're gonna go with ten cases. And they'd be like. Uh, all right, give us slap 10 cases of that garbage in the back, I guess. I don't know. We'll figure out something to do with it. And at that point, Dutch, why don't we just fucking rob them and not leave any of our shit beer here because they don't want it anyway. Let's just rob them. Well, because he wants them to get 10 crates every fucking week. So yeah. he's like, no, you're just on the route now. Oh, I put you. Yeah, that's that fucking like uh, butcher box. Like, yeah, it's going to be here every month. And then my guy with the shotgun, Omaha. who's me, Omaha. will be here every month to collect. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about that Omaha thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's these two brothers, John and Joe Rock, and they refuse to buy from them. They put their foot down. There's two Irish guys, and they're uh, scrappy, and they don't give a shit. And their last name's Rock. Yeah. So you can't punk out when you're John and Joe Rock. You got to scrap this one out. Dutch Schultz kidnapped the younger brother Joe, beat him, and hung him from a meat hook by his thumbs. Jeez. Damn. Man. Yeah. That would hurt if he was still. <laughs> so I know, um, as like uh, the the lead researcher here, can we hear what when the the rocks put their foot down two minutes ago? What what did they do to him? Because <laughs> they put the they went by from him. They fucking put their foot down. They wasn't having it. All right, get over here. I'm gonna hang you up by your thumbs. Like whoa, hey, that's damn. Well, they weren't done. So that was just to get him up on the meat hook by the thumbs. So once they got him up there. 
They covered his eyes in gauze bandages smeared with discharge from a gynorrhea infection. Mm. Oh, man. Lovely. Eventually, Joe gets released on a $35,000 ransom, but he went blind soon afterwards. And after that, they had very little issues with expansion moving forward. So just everybody in the Bronx knew when Dutch Schultz showed up, just order you 10 cases or whatever. You get you a mad case of gonorrhea face. After that, that's when he became known as the beer baron of the Bronx. That's actually probably the nicest way you could put what he's actually Yeah, because you, ex- you could exchange Baron for the beer barbarian of the Bronx. <laughs> Meat hooks and gauze and like, wow, that's awesome. I, I would have to say it's probably the grossest thing we've heard done on the podcast so well, far. Wait, we, right? yeah. That's kind of like not as the worst thing they've done, but it's kind of cartel-esque. It kind of gets into that. Like even all your gangsters would just like... The St. Valentine's Day Massacre was just a pretty mean thing. Turn around, man. We're the cops. Like that. Like to torture and make them. To make them feel pain is one thing, but the the gauze on the eyes with gonorrhea on it. Like, bro. Other gangsters would have to be like, Dutch, I'm not talking you out of it. You make your own decisions, but what the fuck? (laughs) Goddamn. Who even thinks of that, though? Until he said something so stupid, I've never heard of wrapping gauze around a man's eyes. Infected with gonorrhea. That's yeah, pretty bad. Hey, and Dutch, where do you get some gonorrhea? Like, I didn't know it came in vials. I didn't know you could just. <laughs> He's an early adapter to biochemical fucking gang warfare. So. <laughs> you guys want to do a dab of chlamydia in a minute? <laughs> so they become, they like basically run the Bronx and they decide expansion. We got the product. We got the muscle. What greedy person doesn't? <laughs> so they decide to move in to expand into Manhattan because the Bronx is right above Manhattan. So they start moving down into Harlem. So they start moving. You're in. almost on Broadway, baby. <laughs> so they're just working their way down from Harlem and fucking hell's kitchen and shit. And they start moving in and, uh, they end up picking up wars on multiple, multiple fronts. Well, yeah. The pre-existing bear barons didn't want him coming. Yeah. And not everybody's afraid to come with your shitty fucking gauze and your fucking meat hooks. You're right. I'm down I got something for you. What's the the line from the town where he says, who the fuck you think you are? The only guy in Charlestown with a gun? <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover these one at a time, but just know then when we go back that these are kind of happening at the same time. It's just too hard to bounce back and forth. Right on. So they start moving into Manhattan, and this leads to open turf war with a uh, gang boss is an Irish dude named Jack Legs Diamond. He was actually a Rothstein associate and protege, so he was kind of like Rothstein's guy on the streets. Okay. And he's the first one to say, like, hey, I don't know who you are, new guy, and maybe that shit flies over in the Bronx, but we're not afraid of you, and this is our territory. So October 16, 1928, Joey No gets shot outside of a speakeasy. He would eventually die of his wounds over a month later on November 21st. What's crazy is when he got shot, he got ambushed and shot up, and then he got up and started shooting at the car, and they found the car, and there's a dead guy in the back of the car. So he at least got one one, one of the dudes. Yeah. He died there, but he killed one of them. Nice. And he might have hit more than one because they crashed the car and dumped it and left a dead dude in the back. So Yeah, I mean, you would think he hit the driver, right? With the death of Joey No, Dutch Schultz's closest friend and mentor, he flips the fuck out, and he decides to take the offensive. On November 6th, so this was actually even before Joey No died. This is after he'd been shot, but before he died, Arnold Rothstein was found 
fatally shot near the entrance of the Park Central Hotel. The killer, George Hump McManus. A lot of people say that he killed Arnold Austin over a gambling debt, but George McManus, his first call was to Schultz's lawyer, and Schultz's top lieutenant, a guy named Bo Weinberg, picked him up from the crime scene. So he shot Rothstein for that $10,000 he got from Dutch. I mean, maybe there was a gambling beat for something, too. I mean, he was a notorious gambler, but it's odd that his first thing was like, yeah, he's dead. I need a ride in your lawyer right off the bat. Yeah. And Schultz put all his money behind McManus, and he ended up getting off on the murder. But now Jack Lex Diamond is in the same situation. Dutch fucking Schultz is like, dude, you killed my fucking boss. That was my boy. I'm going to fuck you up. So then he kills Arnold Rothstein, and Lex Diamond is like... I'm going to fuck you up, man. That was my boss (laughs) and my boy. So they go to this big war. You know, they're just killing people left and right on the streets. On October 12th, 1930, Legs Diamond was shot five times in the Hotel Monticello. He actually was shot in his hotel room. He had got up. He called for help, took two shots of whiskey, and then walked out to the hallway and passed out. Man, there's some bad motherfuckers back then, huh? Yeah. Crazy part is that's the third time Legs Diamond was shot. (laughs) Well, if I'm going to bleed out anyway, I know the alcohol is going to thin me out and bleed me out quicker, but like, man, this is 1920s technology, ambulances and shit coming to get me. I probably, chances are, I don't make it anyway, so (laughs) pass me that Irish whiskey, son. Dude, this is my third time getting shot. I got shot five times this time, and this is the third reoccurrence. I'm Tupac about 80 years before (laughs) Tupac. I was about to say, even Tupac didn't make it. (laughs) I'm I'm on borrowed time, bro. I need some whiskey. So, Legs Diamond was hospitalized for two and a half months, but he survives and he's released. Dulch was quoted as saying, ain't there nobody that can shoot this guy where he don't bounce back? Well, yeah, that kind of luck. made it. Now I want to be the hitman. I just want to get there and not do it. Like, hey, pick my lottery numbers for tonight because you are the luckiest motherfucker I know. Was this a case of them doing their own bullets? No. No. No, he just, just a tough dude. And, uh... On April 27, 1931, he was hiding upstate, the Aratoga Inn, and uh, they found him up there and shot him three times, and he survived that one, too. What? Yeah. It wasn't even that bad. He just stayed at the pool. Motherfuckers just won't leave me alone. (laughs) On December 18, 1931, he was caught in his room and house in Albany, New York. This time, he was held down and shot in the back of the head three times. Even though they shot him five times, they still used ten bullets. Right, yeah. Because he was like... <laughs> <laughs> that Muhammad Ali head movement. Right. <laughs> when asked about the death of Legs Diamond, Dutch Schultz was quoted as saying, Just another punk caught with his hands in my pocket. <laughs> Whoa, Dutch. A guy that had to be caught 17 times, though, dickhead. I think you're supposed to deny those when they ask <laughs> right. you about them. Right. Like, well, you know, we tried for like six seasons already. <laughs> You know, we just felt like if we kept going at it, you know, we had a good hit team here. You know, we knew we could do it. This time we wanted it more. Like I said, he had multiple beefs running at the same time. So at the same time, he had his beef with Rothstein and Legs Diamond. One of his top enforcers was a guy named Vincent Mad Dog Cole. Now, he had worked for Dutch Schultz, came up through him. He was an enforcer, eventually a hitman. He was badass. But his problem with a name like Mad Dog? (laughs) Who would have thought? His beef with Dutch Schultz is Dutch Schultz did business different than pretty much any other gang boss. So what he did was he ran all the operations. You worked for him, and then he just paid out everybody as a salary. You kick up other ways in the mob you kick up, but like what you make, what I, if you're a captain, whatever you make, 
what you earn, you kick up a percentage of that. You don't give me your whole wallet, and then I'll be like, here's what you deserve. 20 bucks? Damn, how do you get away with this shit? <laughs> well, because some of the gangsters weren't as good. So what it brought him was a lot of gangsters that were like vicious, tough guys that didn't have a lot of skills. Because if they go to other gangs, they're asked to earn, and they don't have that skill set. you know. So they don't have the know-how to start up a craps game or a distribution operation. You so know they I'm really saying. are like the old 80s Raiders and Cowboys. Like, hey, we'll take all your shitty dudes that are out in strip clubs shooting bitches and all that, like that can't play for another team. Yeah. If you run a 4-4-40, we'll take you. Yeah, so that that's basically how we got by was... Yeah, Took everybody take, else's rejects. Like people that... If you're just a straight face smasher, you know what I mean? That's, you know, down to beat people, stab people or whatever. You're not making a ton of money in the mob, especially when you start getting towards the end of prohibition, because you got to have a racket. You need to be making money. And if you don't have a skill set, you don't do that. So for them, a lot of these guys, it was better to go to Dutch Schultz because they're like, well, I just go. I get my paycheck every Friday. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well yeah and like hockey teams every every old one used to have two or three fighters but like you couldn't have a whole team of all fighters because you need them skill players and those guys to to score goals and do like he needs those like really good earners that aren't that tough but can go do construction negotiations that can go do like hey we're gonna do some illegal trading can you go down work on wall street and da 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 you know what i mean like He's like, all the tough guys, all the guys that go around breaking, I want all you. Like, well, that's cool if you guys were going around punching people, but like, we're trying to run an organized crime syndicate. Well, and Mad Dog Cole is kind of proof of that. So in 1930s, like, yeah, he was a vicious guy, but as he gets older, he starts to develop as a gangster. He has a skill set and he is bringing in money. He's a top guy. So he starts saying, well, hey, Dutch, I don't think I should be working on a salary. I think I should be a partner. Like I should get a bigger part of the commission. I'm your top guy. Look at how much I'm doing for you. You know, we're at war. Just renegotiate my contract, baby. Yeah. Show me the money. And uh, Dutch Schultz wasn't having it. He's like, fuck no. That's not how we do shit. You either take what I pay you or fucking kick rocks. So Mad Dog Cole got pissed and broke off and started his own gang with the intention of taking over all of Dutch Schultz rackets and just figures if we could just kill off him and his guys, the whole thing is in place. I'll just take it over with my guys. So it's a clone of Dutch fighting Dutch. Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll just punch and kill people and then we'll be running the whole world. Like, well, yeah, that's cool to you hit an opponent. But it's sweet that they're on the team, though. They're like, yeah, I'm going to punch him and take his shit now. Like, how is your plan better than his? You see the futility in the crap of his. Your exact plan to cure that is like, let me remake that mistake. So they go to war and it, it turns into a bloody war that lasts for two years. So... Mad Dog Cole, at one point, he misses someone in a shootout and kills a kid on the street. His brother gets killed. Like, it's a, it's messy. We'll cover that more if we get into the Mad Dog Cole episode, but it's pretty bad. But eventually, Dutch Schultz, he's able to set up Mad Dog Cole. And they catch him in a drugstore phone booth. And uh, they send in an assassin with a Tommy gun. That kind of brings back a classic that we haven't touched on in a while. They pulled 15 bullets out of him, but he was shot so many times that it was too many to count and at that point what does it matter though if honestly i guess for the folklore if tones fam wanted to know like how many 137 i might as the mother or father be like well no dude after you got to 20 bullets i'm cool with the determination that well they want to know if it's personal or not (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's still no motive or suspects so you're thinking the death was caused by the shooting right (laughs) 
Um, Dutch Schultz sent a floral wreath to Mad Dog Cole's funeral with a banner with a message that read "From the Boys." Some people he say should have said "Take that." If you're sending flowers to the funeral, you don't send a message on the banner. Yeah, I'm gonna send him all these beautiful flowers for his mother and grandmother and all them to see, and it says "Take that shit." <laughs> on his casket, man. Come. You may as well just go there and pee on the dude in his casket then. Come on, dickhead. So we're going to take a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute.
All right, we're back. When we left off, Dutch Schultz had fought multiple gang wars to expand his territory to include not only the Bronx, but into Harlem. No, we covered a lot that he was different than a lot of gangsters. So if he did come up on a, on a, on a Rothstein or whatever, at this point, now we're getting into the mid, you know, into the 1930s. And Prohibition's gone. And Lucky Luciano, who was Arnold Rothstein protege, kind of adopted his style. The business first, uh, you know, put the bygones, bygones be bygones, you know, dress nice, conduct yourself a certain way. Dutch Schultz was like the polar opposite of that, like in every way. So not only like in how he acted and carried himself, but how he dressed and looked. So there's a couple quotes I got about what Dutch Schultz looked like. So Lucky Luciano described him. He said, the guy had a couple million bucks and he dressed like a pig. <laughs> there was a showgirl that described Dutch Schultz as looking like Bing Crosby with his nose bashed in. Damn. Damn. And then Dutch Schultz, when uh, he had quotes about like dressing and like clothes or whatever. And uh, he said two things. One, he said, uh, he said, I think only queers wear silk shirts. And he said, only an idiot would pay more than $2 for a shirt. But at this time, once, once prohibition dries up, you have these guys that have big gangs and that was a giant cash cow, right? And you need to replace that. So Dutch Schultz picked in, he moved into a couple different rackets. One of the first ones he did was he took over labor unions with the waiters, local 16, and the cafeteria workers, local 302. So he had this big-ass dude. A guy named, his guy's name was Jules Majalewski, but he went by Julie Martin. And he was just this big, burly fucking dude, and he had some ins in the union. So they went in, and they took over these two locals. And then he created something called the Metropolitan Restaurant and Cafeteria Owners Association. And basically, he just went around with this big-ass dude, Julie Martin, and went to every restaurant and said, hey, you should pay and sign up for the Metropolitan Restaurant and Cafeteria Owners Association. <laughs> and they were like... There's no easier way to say that. Nope. <laughs> That's how you say it. Well, what exactly do you do for us? Well, we protect you from us if you pay. And uh, if anybody tried not to sign up, they would... Julie? They will automatically yeah. sign you up. Julie, <laughs> this gentleman wants to talk to you. Oh, yeah, you're going to send a dude named Julie in here? Okay. Yeah, it's a real boy named Sue situation. So. This big gump comes, pounds the fuck out of you. Like, hey, I want to join the Metro Shores fucking cafeteria and burger association or whatever the fuck you made up. I want to join so bad. Yeah, sign me up for two years. Even when that shit didn't work, so if they beat people up, what they never wanted to do is they never wanted to fuck up the restaurants. He was smart like that. We're not going to fuck up this place. Cause... But I have meat hooks in this warehouse. Yeah. They would some they would throw stink bombs in them, so they'd fucking bomb the restaurants with st stink bombs because it shut down their business, but it wouldn't fuck up the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So they could still... When we kill you... this owner, open up Fertello's as our yeah, restaurant? Yeah, a new restaurant. Mm -hmm. They would also like threaten them with union strikes or... Like exorbitant union dues. They'd be like, oh, you don't want to sign up? Well, then local 302 is charging. they got to double their hmm. fees. We're going to get money out of you one way. It's 1935. <laughs> we're asking you if you don't want to join to pay people 20 bucks an hour. It ain't like today's time. Like, well, no, that would break me. Like, either that or Julie's going to break you. So sign up. Act now. Now, they make a shitload of money off this. They're in New York. There's restaurants all over. And they just make a killing. Eventually, Dutch finds out 
he actually finds out from a court document that he was such a penny pincher and he knew every fucking dollar. When he was going to trial, he seen on a court document that there was a 70,000 discrepancy in the books. So while he's going to trial over fighting for this illegal shit. He's calling managers like, hey, yeah. why the fuck are we 70 shy? Yeah. Like, here. <laughs> so he calls Julie and he's like, hey, I get that I might go to prison for this, but uh, what's up with this 70 fucking We're already holding this? back before my funeral? We're already holding back? So they all go out one day. It's him, his lawyer, his bodyguard, and Julie Martin. They all get fucking wasted drunk. He eventually gets Julie Martin to admit to taking 20K, but he said he thought he was owed it. So he's like, well, I didn't steal 70, but I stole 20, but I felt like you owed it to me. <laughs> oh, you're about to get what I owe you. <laughs> I promise you, you're about to get what I owe you. So Dutch used to keep his gun, like, right in the front of his pants, like, on his stomach, like, under his vest and shit. He said in one motion, he snatched his gun out of his stomach, stuck it in Julie Martin's mouth, and shot him in the head. After the murder, he apologized to his lawyer for killing Julie in front of him. I don't want that to take away from what you could do for me in court because uh, I'm going to ask you to defend me on this one. Like, I can't. I'm a witness, you dickhead. I'm part of it. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm, an I'm an accomplice. I'm, I'm, I'm in the gang. We're like, going. I think, when I, think they, I just made my bones. When they're done, we're going to the same prison, asshole. <laughs> I'm not your lawyer right now. I'm your associate. When the lawyer reads about the murder, he reads in the newspaper that the body was found stabbed in the chest over a dozen times. When he asked Dutch about it, Dutch answered deadpan. I cut his heart out. <laughs> man, this guy's cartel-esque, man. <laughs> the other racket he moved into besides the restaurant racket was what he's most known for, which was moving in to take over the Harlem Numbers rackets which were all ran by independent black operators. So Chicago Outfit took this you know, method at one point. He just basically decided, well, anybody that's independent is now part of the gang, and everybody's got to kick up. And at one point, he had, he had kidnapped a guy named Casper Holstein, and uh, they kidnapped him on the weekend. We covered Casper Holstein. It actually be the yeah, first Yeah, that was an episode. Yeah, but they kidnapped him on the weekend and ransomed him for 17 grand, and they're like, all right. And then they're like, well, actually 50 then. And they're like, okay. And then they got him the money, and they were like, hey, just know, these dudes down in Harlem, they got 50 grand on a weekend when the banks are closed. That's real money. 50 yeah. grand on the weekend? That's great now. Like, back a 100 years ago from now? Like, oh, yeah, that's really great. So Dutch Schultz steps in, and a lot of the Harlem number rackets guys, they were kind of doing this criminal thing, but most of them, they weren't gangsters. They were just kind of businessmen. I mean, that business eventually turns into the lottery. It's barely a crime. You know, they were also providing jobs. It was like an economy on itself. The one dude was a philanthropist. The other guy owned a Negro League baseball team and shit. And they just sold the numbers to make some money. But they just weren't gangsters like that. So when Dutch Schultz came in and was like, no, we're we're doing gyneria eyes and cutting hearts out. Yeah, he shit. was a, so, a psychopath that yeah. kind of said, hey, what I'm going to do, though, is get into this, like, organized crime business. He wasn't a guy that was a real violent, organized crime guy. He was just... Because this dude, if he never got into crime, would have been this nutcase. Right. Yeah. If you'll cut a dude's heart out for, like, money, so say he would never got... He just all had a life of working at Schultz, Schultz Trucking, just, a, like, a dock warehouse manager, yeah. and somebody stole $100 or whatever from it, he would have did the same cutting out of the heart. He didn't do that because it was a gangster, and the <laughs> power got to his head. He did that because he's a fucking nut. <laughs> 
So he goes into Harlem and most of them just cough up their businesses real quick. And they're like, yep, you get it. And he does the same thing. He'll take their whole racket, which is bringing in a shitload of money, and he'll pay them a couple hundred. He'll put them on salary. Like some of these guys have been making like 10 grand a week, 12 grand a week. He took their business and gives them like 200 bucks a week salary and shit. And, uh, but most of them just took it. They're like, look, I don't. Hey, Scarface to Ernesto. Like, hey, we just killed. You want to work for us? You seem pretty loyal and cool. I guess I work for you guys. Now, he has this uh, accountant, a guy named Otto Abadabba Berman. Abadabba. Abadabba do. <laughs> Abracadabra. So Abadabba is a math whiz, right? And he looks at the numbers game. And originally, they stopped doing the lotto balls, and they started picking it off numbers in the newspapers because it was more random, and you didn't have control over it. So at one point, they, they would use all kinds of different like different numbers, but they were using the, the pyramidal betting numbers from the Belmont horse track. And uh, what Abadabba was able to do, because he was so good at math, he was able to figure out the least amount of money that Dutch had to bet at the very last minute to change the odds so they would have changed that number before the papers got printed figuring out the algorithm before yeah. with no computer or not that's sweet yeah so he was just able to be like hey you put five grand down right now it'll throw off the odds enough that we don't got to pay out any of these people yeah so it changed the numbers racket because the number racket was always big but your biggest your biggest expense was the winners <laughs> you know what now I'm saying? with our inside trading of the lottery yes there's yeah now there's no winners so he turns it into like a multi-million a month enterprise like he's just bringing in fucking like at its peak like he just makes shit loads of fucking money off of it there's one black operator that wouldn't hand over their operation which was madame queen saint stephanie saint Clair and her top lieutenant bumpy johnson and what's crazy is a lot of times you'll hear, like, she was the biggest, you know, ladies number around her, or like, blah, blah, blah. She wasn't the biggest. I mean, she had a successful business. She was doing a good job. She didn't have the biggest operation. She just didn't give a fuck. She just wasn't handed over to this white dude that come into Harlem. She she actually, like she said at one point, when everybody else was handing over their business, and she was like, we should fight. And they were like, nah. She was like, how are you guys all just going to leave a woman in a fight? Like, I'm the only one that's got the balls to fight. Right. But Bumpy Johnson was scrappy as fuck. And uh, Bumpy had a crazy game plan. He basically told Dutch Schultz, and he'd later tell uh, Lucky Luciano this too. He's like, look, I can't beat you guys, but I could fight you forever. They knew, like, no, we can't. We don't want to come take your racket. We, we're not going to try and beat up the Lucky Luciano crew. But what we are going to do is we're going to keep ours. Business. We're going to dig in right fucking here. And Dutch Schultz. What he should have did is he was making so much fucking money that he should have said, fuck it, this isn't even that big of an operation. You know yeah, what I mean? you keep your little, yeah. your one million, and that's good money back then, but yeah. you keep your 1.5 a month operation, and I'm going to be over here doing my 12 million a month yeah. operation. But Dutch Schultz wasn't that guy. He didn't back down from fights, and he wanted every fucking dollar. So he took it to the streets, and they fought a guerrilla-style war against Dutch Schultz that lasted for years. It basically lasted to the rest of Dutch Schultz's life. Yeah. Like he could never, it's like Vietnam is what it was. Like he couldn't beat them. They would fight, they'd take losses and shit like that, but yeah. they just would keep scrapping and they would dig in and and they was able to get him a lot because like Bumpy, he would fight him on the streets and she would like 
she would like write articles about him in the paper and she put in like an anonymous tip to the cops and they busted one of his places one time that had like two million cash in it. But it causes so much violence, so there's all this attention. You know, he's always fighting gang wars on the street, and he's been doing that since, like, Prohibition's over now. People right. are calming down with that shit, and he's just finding new fights to fight left and right. He did that back in the beginning stages when he drove the trucks to Canada. Like, you, in the, when you first started out in your gangsterism, like, you had to pull the truck over and get in the fucking rock'em sock'em. He's like, I'm running out of faces to punch here. <laughs> So what I do in Canada, I shot a Mountie. What you can do? What you can do? The amount of money he was making and the amount of violence he was creating when U.S. State's Attorney Thomas Dewey starts looking to grab a guy, Dutch Schultz is the first name that comes to mind. He's easy to hate. He's making a ton of money, and he's a fucking causing the most trouble. I mean, that's why Lucky Luciano is trying not to make a lot of noise, right? Right. So that you slide under the radar? Well, whenever you mention Dewey or fucking hoover like it's like oh man here we go they're gonna fucking they're just as bad as the gangsters of cops it's just like okay just the other side so in 1933 schultz gets indicted on tax evasion charges and he flees to albany hides out in albany and it's basically his his game plan was just to get arrested in albany and then have the trial trial up there which he did in 1934 eventually turned himself in and uh got the trial moved to upstate new york He's like, I got this. But what is the uh, <laughs> what gonna... is the advantage to moving it? Because Al- Albany's like the capital, so like you're in the most federal part of New York. What was the advantage of him to have it tried there? It's like I'm gonna be the most annoying prisoner there. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a little more country up there. They'll probably kick me out in two years. Like yeah, I see the. Um, I just was wondering if you knew the theory of why he wanted to get tried. Like if I wanted to get tried here in Michigan, I wouldn't try and go to the capital. Well, because basically. It was a smaller town, so he's easier to get to jurors. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the trial ended in a hung jury, and it's speculated that he had bribed several of the jurors. Do you mean not indecision? Like he hung all the people that were in the jury? <laughs> <laughs> By fucking meat hooks? So then he gets a follow-up trial. This time they decide to move the trial to Malone, New York. They're like, okay. We're not sending it back to fucking where he's been hanging out in Albany and buying people off. We're going to move it to fucking nowhere in Malone, New York. Dutch Schultz, in a last-ditch effort to present himself as an upstanding citizen, moves to Malone, New York, and just starts donating cash to local businesses and giving toys to sick kids and giving (laughs) out food and shit. Too little, too late. And donating all this money, so he's got all these law battles, like all these legal stuff, but then he's donating all this money in the community, and it takes a lot, so he started what he called the the uh, Dutch Schultz Defense Fund. Oh, dude. <laughs> so he started pitching all his runners and cutting everybody's money, and it started causing like a big problem. Like At one point, like all the Harlem number runners, they legitimately just quit, and they're like, fuck it. We're not doing it for fucking nothing. And he had to like actually cave and pay him some more money, because it just shut down everything. But mm. like he started... That hurt him more than the lawsuit. <laughs> uh, but eventually, well, it really did. Like, was most of his gang just started to get like, dude, fuck this guy. Why yeah. kick up at all? He's up in Malone. Let's not even pay this little fucking psycho. Like, yeah, fuck that. Because in that world too, like, even the most loyal like of us want to hold as much back. But then, like, when dear friend of ours Johnny Sack gets cancer, like, hey, guess we don't really have to pay nobody this week, huh? And that's exactly what happened. So one of his top lieutenants, Bo Weinberg. He talks to Longy's Willman, who's friends with Meyer Lansky, and says, dude, you should talk to Lucky Luciano. And they just kind of decide, 
he's going away. And what Bo Weinberg thought was that they're going to help him be the new guy after Dutch goes away. What Lucky really was thinking is, well, we're just going to absorb, like, you're going to help it's us. It's going to be it, part of it. You could work just, at the store, yeah. but uh, we can own this warehouse now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to bring all this stuff in. And they just start fucking moving in and dub- divvying it in all, up Dutch Schultz rackets and shit. And they're like, yeah. All right. Well, this was fun. And it helps because he's got fucking Bo Weinberg and the gang already hates him. So they're all like, yeah, I guess we're here. And uh, he starts taking most of the shit over with little resistance. But then up in Malone, New York, it turns out it works and Dutch gets acquitted. So now Luciano's like, he th- he had this whole plan in and is going smooth. And all of a sudden Dutch Schultz gets off and he's like, fuck. So he brings, uh, they, they do like a commission meeting and they bring Dutch Schultz in and they just tell him, look, everything's cool. We're just minding your shop. Here's your stuff. You're good to go. We're just making sure everything went smooth. So him and Lucky Luciano butts heads, but Dutch Schultz wanted like Lucky to be his boy. He like wanted to be one of the top mob bosses. So he uh he converted to Roman Catholicism to earn wow. Lucky Luciano's respect. Favor. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Which didn't seem to work for the record. Like Lucky Luciano wasn't like super impressed. Well, no, because they're only all Catholic because their fams are like they come from that lineage. Like we, at the end of the day, kill. And steal and fucking murder and like do this other shit. But then I'm forgiven every Sunday. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do my Our Fathers and uh, my Hail Marys and we're good to go. But in the meantime, Mayor LaGuardia, he was the mayor of fucking New York at the time. And uh, he's like, okay, we tried this motherfucker twice and he got off twice. Why are we still dealing with Dutch Schultz, man? Like, this is a ridiculous fucking problem to have like, he's like a bad std you can keep him under control but he never really goes away fucking herpy yeah exactly is the herpes of fucking organized <laughs> crime and shit he just don't go nowhere and he's a pain in the ass because prisons have kicked him out lucky luciano and the who's who of the real mob he, said he pops up when you don't we need don't him to. who does the mob ever say ah they're not worth fighting they just they if you don't get out of their way you become part of the road so mayor laguardia is like yeah if he steps foot in fucking New York, like if you see him anywhere, bust him. He appointed Thomas Dewey as a special prosecutor. Like, let's go get Dutch Schultz. So Dutch Schultz has to now move his operations to Newark, New Jersey. Now Dutch is pissed. Anybody gets stuck in Newark's pissed. <laughs> yeah, I had to go out there once. I was pretty pissed. <laughs> well, if you look across the bay, you can see where you were from. You could see New York. Like, right. <laughs> it's just a teaser and yeah. shit. Like... It'd be like right now if we got kicked over to Windsor. Like, we could just look back at the D. Like, yep, there's Detroit. Yep, I could be out of Coney. Because I haven't been to New York yet, and I, I got to go to Jersey for work. But those motherfuckers, as soon as I was done with work, they were like, all right, you got to fly back out to Michigan. I couldn't even go to So work. did you feel like that? You'd <laughs> be like, like hey, there's New, New York. York. There's New York. I could see New York over awesome. there. Look. I don't get to touch it, though. Dutch Schultz decides he calls a commission meeting, and he proposes to the commission that they put a hit out on Thomas Dewey. He's like, Bad move. And and these guys are like, Is no. nobody around to talk sense to him? Like, there's no cold cases of judges or, like, people like that getting mowed down. There was this guy, Gura Shapiro, that was like, I'm in. Like, he actually voted for, he was pro, put a hit on Thomas Dewey. And so was uh, Albert Anastasia. Albert Anastasia was, like, but he was the Lord High Executioner. Like, he was known yeah. for doing that. So he was like, uh, he was just in for whatever. Like, there's a hit on the table, I'll do it. I never killed a federal prosecutor. I'm in. Hmm. Give it a shot. Hmm. But yeah, everybody else is like, fuck no. And then eventually they even talk Shapiro and Anastasia. They're like, dude, we can't do that. So they hold it to a vote and the commission voted unanimously. (laughs) 
not to hit fucking. Duh. <laughs> Dutch Schultz was the only guy that voted pro hit on Thomas Dewey. <laughs> so they vote no. He flips out. He loses his shit. And he says, fuck it. I'll just do it myself and leaves and shit. Man, you work so hard to be a part of the commission. You finally get let in the club in later stages. And then the one decision goes against you. Like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going Notre Dame again. I'm back independent, baby. I don't belong to a conference. Like, why did you even come hang out with us then, dickhead? Guys like the asshole. The biggest <laughs> asshole. That's the asshole of a group of assholes. These guys are crying. He's bosses. the leader of a right. bunch of assholes. He's the biggest asshole there is. Like, <laughs> And either, these assholes are like, dude, stop being such a dick. And he even had uh, Albert Anastasia. He reached out to him and tried to say, like, hey, you can be down. You want to look into it? You should see if, just see if you can fucking do it. And Albert Anastasia looked into it and went back to Lucky Luciano and said, hey, uh, Dutch came to me and told me I should check it out anyways to see if we could do it. But I wanted to let you know, one, that Dutch came to me, but also I wanted to let you know, I can do it. This can be done. And Lucky Luciano was still like, look. Um, the I commission voted no. I appreciate your effort and your thought. Like I like the but, confidence. I like where your head's at. You know, I, I like you believing in yourself. But and I appreciate you telling us that before you just acted. But no, Albert. I think Albert Anastasia. Like, and he he ran Murder Inc. at one point. He was just a big pro hit kind of guy. I think he was just trying to say, like, look, if the reason you're saying no is because you, you lack if, the ability, if you don't think we can't do it. I'm just letting you know. I can win this game, coach. But, no, that's not the reason it's no. <laughs> that's probably why he didn't do it. So he said he wanted to do it, and then he still voted with Lucky Luciano, but he still checked it out himself and pulled him to the side. You know, I believe this. I believe the same thing. I think yeah. he, he didn't. He's not so stupid that he, he was pro hit heavy, but he wasn't <laughs> so stupid that he's asking that way. I think he's asking, like, hey, I'm showing loyalty by telling you. But I also want you to know if you had any conception of doing it, hey, if it's I, I lack of ability, I can do this. <laughs> I know I can do this. Not everybody can get up there close and bam, bam, kill a fucking federal prosecutor. But lucky, I can do this. You know, lucky Luciano, he calls a meeting. They have a six-hour meeting. They all vote unanimously that they have Dutch eliminated. And they send it over to Murder, Inc., which, to me, that was the perfect example of them saying, no, see, this is how we do business, Dutch. We said no, you should let it go. But now we're going to vote. You're going to get hit. We're going to send it over to the group that does that. Well, the thing is, Dutch fought so hard to be, like, he was an outcast. He finally got into where they bring him. That was probably his first commission meeting, and then the vote didn't go his exact way. So he was like, you know what? Going rogue, bitches. Like, what? Terrible twos. Yeah. Terrible twos. <laughs> so, on October 23rd, 1935, he was eating at the Palace Chop in Newark with his accountant, Abadabba Berman, and then gang members, Ab- Abe Landau and Lulu Crow Rosencrantz. That's a crew. Abadabba, Look. Abe, and Lou? <laughs> Fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> The two Murder, Inc. hitmen that got the contract were Charles the Bug Workman and Emmanuel Mendy Weiss. So they walked in and Dutch Schultz was in the bathroom. So they actually walked in through the back, found Dutch Schultz in the bathroom, shot him at a urinal, and didn't know it was him. So what they did was their plan was to come in through the back and sweep the room because when they were killing Dutch Schultz, they didn't want other guys to come running in. So they were trying to sweep the building from the back end. 
So they shot him on the way to go kill Dutch Schultz. And then so they shot him in the bathroom, went down to the table, and it was Abe, Lulu, and Abadaba. And they unloaded into them. Uh, Abadaba died right away. He was an accountant. Like, he, he didn't have no fight in him. The other two got shot up, but got up and started shooting and shit. Like, they actually chased him out of the restaurant. So Hoodlum wasn't accurate. It was kind of accurate. He was in the bathroom, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and uh, he had a couple of his homies with him. Hoodlum's okay. You know, it's not perfect, but it's not horrible either. Yeah. You know, it's not Braveheart, but it's not It's not a documentary. Right, it's, it's an, an hour movie. and a half movie or something, yeah. right? <laughs> it's, it's dope. Yeah. I would recommend it. Like, yeah. y- yes, go into it knowing it's not a history lesson, but this version of the story is good. Yeah. Look, I like Inglorious Bastards. Hitler didn't get blown up in a movie theater in France and shit. That doesn't make the movie not fucking dope and shit. Dutch Schultz actually got up and walked from the bathroom mm. back to the table yeah, and shit. Okay. Sat at the table. Right. And then one of his gang members that was shot up got up and called the ambulance himself. Really? Yeah. And they were so fucked up that when the ambulance showed up... They took they took Abe Landau and Lulu Rosencrantz first because they seemed the worst hurt and left Dutch Schultz there. These were some hard motherfuckers back then, dude. Yeah, they I got mean, up, shot at them, called like, the ambulance, then ordered some ZD and right, wine right. and ate while the fucking ambulance came to pick him up. One dude like had to get his final drinks in. Yeah. And most of them get, even the guys that died, though, you get shot. Well, no, he got him and fucking popped a couple people before he bled out. Like, well, sweet. Right, dude got to shoot a couple dudes before he died. So Dutch, by the time he got picked up, now he's, like, really fucked up. Like, he even missed the first ambulance, you know? So they threw him the second ambulance. <laughs> he's so fucked up. He gave the ambulance driver $3,000 that he had in his pocket. And he's like, I don't need this. I'm not, right. I'm not going to make it. Yeah, I'm not making it this time, buddy. And, uh. He spent over a day fading in and out of lucidity. At one point, he actually looked like he was going to make it. And the fucking uh, the ambulance guy came back and put his $3,000 back. Like, he came out of surgery, and they thought he was going to die in surgery, and he came out alive, and he was He's like, like hey, eh. you might need this back, buddy. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> I've heard of you. I don't want I don't want you coming I, looking I, I for this food, I didn't spend it yet, but... Uh, uh, my heart uh, belongs in here. Yeah. I, I'll, okay. be, I'll be watching. <laughs> So Dutch Schultz babbled incoherently for like over a day. All of his words were recorded by police. Oh, there's a part of the story I forgot to tell too. So back when they first started hunting him, he took a bunch of his money. So he bought a big ass safe and he put five to seven million dollars in money and gold coins and just different types of currency and went and buried it in the mountains upstate New York. Well, because he wanted to have his hidden cachet in case, you know, Dewey busted him or whatever. At the end of the day, he'd still have. Yeah, you couldn't, fucking, take the, you couldn't take the money, asshole. Yeah, you still, I still got that. But then on his deathbed, he rambles off like two thousand words. So I didn't, I didn't write them all down because obviously I would read that forever. But I got some of the funny ones because he just talked like literal babbling. So these are some of the quotes from like Dutch Schultz's final words. His said, deathbed. You can play jacks and girls do that with a softball, and do tricks with it. Oh, oh, dog biscuit. And when he's happy, he doesn't get snappy. Okay. <laughs> wow. And then, uh, made no damn sense. So, there's another one. This is one of his quotes. He said, Come on, open the soap buckets, the chimney sweeps, talk to the sword. Shut up, you big mouth. Please help me. French Canadian bean soup. I want to pay. Let them leave me alone. Dude, it's tripping. 
remembering people he killed, it sounds like, when he was up in Canada. Just babbling, yeah, babbling about fucking... Please don't hurt me, or what, like, that's what people were saying to him, like... The reason I wanted to mention that is some people think that he was babbling words that were, like... Clues? a, A clue to where his money was. Yeah. So there's documentaries about it. People have tried to find the Dutch Schultz money. When he died, Lucky Luciano actually spent a shitload of money trying to go find where his money would be. Because really? everybody knew he had a shitload of money and he had cash. And he just, and he didn't like to spend it. He just hoarded it like a dragon and shit. So even Junior, Lucky. Junior Soprano. But nobody ever found it. People still, like Dutch Schultz's treasure is like. Still out there. Yeah, it's a thing. If you're a treasure hunter, wow. you would know about Dutch Schultz's treasure for Do sure. Do you want to become treasure hunters? Right. If you find it, five to seven million to say nowadays, it'd probably be worth probably like 150 million. Yeah, because the gold he put away back then was like $3.75 for an ounce. Now it's like just under two grand. It's like 1900 for an ounce of gold for like a one ounce coin or something. Hey, Locke, get the details, man. Let's go on a trip. (laughs) Let's go treasure hunting. Let's go treasure hunting. Why do you guys keep going to upstate New York, man? You don't even go to the city when you guys go to New York. Yeah, the camping's great up there. We got up North Michigan. We could just go there. No, we're going up North. Fucking no, J Bone don't like to get off road, and he likes to take his bulldozer out to upstate New York. So Dutch Schultz died of his gunshot wounds October twenty fourth, nineteen thirty five. He was buried in a Roman Catholic Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Westchester County, New York. At the request of his Orthodox Jewish mother, Schultz's body was draped with a tallit, which is like a a Jewish prayer shawl. So that's the story of Dutch Schultz. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Dutchy. So Dutch Schultz has been played recently by James Remar. Oh, this is Dutch. This is Dutch Schultz on his deathbed. So that's him at the table. And that was like him right before he died. Is that thing on his belly, his hip sack, where he carries his gun on his belly? <laughs> yeah, that motherfucker got shot at the toilet and fucking walked back down and passed out back at his table. But he was recently played by James Remar, Tim Roth, and Dustin Hoffman. In the past, he'd also been played by Vic Morrow and Vincent Gardenia. I think Tim Roth is a pretty accurate portrayal. Yeah, Hoodlum was dope, and he played a real fucking lunatic role, if you've ever seen it. I mean, Dustin Hoffman's a great actor, though, too. Yeah, but I see him more as Rain Man than Dutch yeah. Schultz. <laughs> I, I don't see the fucking ruthless, you know, he ain't got that fucking scary vibe. Uh, James Remar, you know who James Remar is? Uh-huh. You probably do. He's been in a couple things, but the one thing I think of all time is uh, he was Ajax in The Warriors. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, oldie but goodie. He was uh, one of the cops in Too Fast, Too Furious. Okay. I don't know if anybody told you. But they don't kind of matter. That's the only one Vin Diesel's not in, too. <laughs> tell me the mistake. <laughs> but yeah, can you guys think of anybody if he's going to recast it today? Because even Hoodlum, we're so old, you think of that as, oh, they just did that. That fucker's probably older than my kid. Um, If it counts, like, I guess, like, my guess would be, like, if it's anybody at any time. I joked about it at the beginning, but... Uh, Burgess Meredith, somebody like that, like an old looking guy, but you have to have like a little bit of meanness. 
He was too fat, but the gentleman that played Feech Lamana, you have to be like Robert that. Loja. Yeah, you have to look like an old man, but also look. You believe that guy would do that in the in the Sopranos would knock a guy out of a tree, so you got to believe that like the guy we have playing him could be like. This well, dude wasn't he, just a mean gangster. He died at thirty four. Thirty four. Yeah, I mean, he died in thirty five. He was born in nineteen oh one. Okay. So he's only thirty four years old. When he died? Yeah. Oh, shit. I thought he was a little older than that. Yeah. No, he was born in 1901. There he was just so much. The story was so wow. rich with, like, bad. I knew the name Dutch Schultz, but the story was so rich with just bad shit he was doing in different stages. Right. And he kind of went through the whole prohibition. I, I lost track of the time. I'm usually yeah. pretty good on keeping track of the timeline. I didn't know he was only in his 30s. He's just yeah. a fucking dick. I thought you were going to say he's just a fucking kid. Like, no. Look, look at this dirt. This guy's bald and yeah. shit. Like. And I didn't. I, I don't know if they shaved it up because I don't think James Remar is bald. <laughs> so I don't know if they did that for the role or what because I felt like he had hair. Maybe he just wears a piece now. I don't know. From that first picture you showed us, uh, I was thinking of uh, Rick Morrison. <laughs> Rick Morrison? Who's that? Who's he play? Isn't that the dude from Ghostbusters? Oh, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. <laughs> okay. Dude, I would like that, like a comedy fucking role, yeah. like playing like the uh, Darth Helmet or yeah, whatever. Darth. Yeah, <laughs> the organized Darth crime dude. and shit. Honey, I shrunk your kid. Shit. The the guy I thought of was uh, Ben Foster. He was the crazy brother in Alpha Dog. Okay. Mm-hmm. The one that took a sideways Sideway shit. Sideways shit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking fucked everybody up. So he was in like uh, the uh, Marky Mark, Lone Survivor. He's this dude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's kind of like one of my go-to crazy little guys. You know, he <laughs> yeah. plays lunatic small guy. Pretty fucking pretty good. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. So standard DEFCON scale is five to one. Five being the lowest, one being the highest. But on the bad guy podcast, there's no good guys. So five would be Lee Murray, who's your kidnapping, bank robbing, drug dealer. And one would be the Purple Gang, who's got multiple massacres, multiple gang wars, and they're killing people on the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Dutch Schultz? Number one. (laughs) Nobody's ever cut out a heart and fucking, like, he just did some bad shit. And then the whole, it was one incident, but you can't overlook it. Like, well, he did do the gonorrhea-wrapped eye thing. Like, yeah, that was pretty fucking horrible, dude. So definitely why i'm glad we're doing a defcon on him is because one i you already kind of know where we're going like this has to be a unanimous one because if either of you have a different opinion i want you to give me some good points on dutch some some enduring qualities besides the fact that he pretended to be catholic for five minutes what else did he do good dutch is a one (laughs) i uh we got to go with one, I think. I think when you cut out the heart, there's no other choice. <laughs> Not cut out the heart like, oh, he ruined the guy's business and killed his wife so he didn't have nothing. To... He physically cut out the organ of the man's heart. He cut out his heart out of his chest. Yeah, that's hard to do. So we're going to call Dutch Schultz a DEFCON 1. All right. Flush the bombers, get the subs in launch mode. We are at DEFCON 1. All right. This is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Yeah. 
Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Down bad, my mama had to be dead. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam, man. And I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams, eh? So I don't money grabbed a hundred hams. I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie. First you meet your dead homie. Ay. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. 